this is a teaching that unifies uh, all, all forms of experience subtle, gross, refined mm. formless inner and outer um, behavior and thoughts external, internal forms so from the you know from the physical form of the body to the social forms of our interactions and our community structures and so forth to the forms of our moods and feelings forms of meditation subtle forms of uh, perception feeling consciousness to formless you know a whole lot the Buddha doesn't separate levels ultimately he doesn't say this is ultimate truth this is just conventional he just says that all of this you can be really honest about true about try to be true with this you know don't uh, dismiss it don't get fascinated with it you know this is all just stuff conditioned realm and if you find the right balance within this, if you find a balance where there's no clinging, when you exhaust the tremblings and agitations and uh, perplexities and aversion and fascination, when you exhaust that, then there is a escape, a cessation, a, a liberation from all of this. That's kind of pretty straight message. Sometimes it's... Um, so it seems a bit stark, you know. Escape, cessation, goodness. Sounds so nihilistic. Mm. So this is, of course, this is, uh, you know, why Theravada Buddhism in particular is never really going to be a mass, mass religion. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't pull the masses, you know. You get other things that promise a little more than that. So I think it's only, Buddha says it's only for a, a relatively minor proportion of people who actually, you know, that, that has some resonance for some of the time, <laughs> or most of the time. Yeah. But but until we've until we've really realised it, I think for most of us there's some kind of um, you know reservations about that particular expression, you know, you feel a little bit daunted by that or challenged by that you think it's kind of something nice somewhere <laughs> so it's so miserable so, oh yes, there's nice as well it's not there, yes there's nice nice is a part of it, you know pleasant is part of it, it's not just all miserable you're saying there's, there's pleasant as well sublime, beautiful, joyful it's not just all miserable there's Yes, that's in there too. It's it's a very complete teaching, and there's the sublime and the pleasant and the exquisite, and then there's the escape from that. <laughs> if you want it, you know. Not if you don't want it, because it's not something that's going to happen. 
But you do find the sublime and the exquisite and the pleasant as ever the characteristic of change to it. And uh, if we if we attach to the, the refined, the sublime, we tend to be irritated or uh, negative or can't be bothered with the less sublime. So maybe we want to, you know, really go into sublime states in our own mind, refine and not bother with external forms of appearance and behavior and what we do in our lives. You know, this is not correct. The Buddha teaches Dhamma Vinaya, which really covers internal and external levels. So all of this you can, is to be developed, not to be delighted in, not to be averse to, not to cause perplexity, not to stir up doubt, but just as forms you see, you're going to simplify it all to form, subtle forms. And the point, really, the, the, the Buddha's teaching is, is it's not presenting any sublime or subtle form of any kind at all, really, as an ultimate. Knowing the nature of forms is to rise and pass is to cause, is to be something that has to be held and managed. But he doesn't resent this as an ultimate. What he does present is to be aware of the conditioned arising of any form, to understand the dependence of form, how it arises, uh, how it can be clung to, how it can be struggled with, and the release from the clinging and the struggle of that how when, when a form is dependently arisen it can also if you if you really develop insight into it it can de- it can dependently cease it can no longer be something that's grasped or held or presses or agitates or attracts or repels it quietens down it, it, dis- it dissolves its form this quieting down on cessation, you know. <clears throat> so he's looking into the arising cessation. And the cessation is not an, when you really, uh, cessation is not annihilation. The Buddha very much emphasizes that. It's cessation is cessation of movement. So we begin to recognize, you contemplate form, you see form is actually a continual movement of energies forming something so even your own body as you meditate on it you can experience as tingles and pressures and pains and neutralities and pleasant bits and rushing and earth and air things just forming continually that the form is actually ephemeral fluid changing so the cessation of that is really that when that movement, that rising up, that welling up, that is, is, can, can cease, it stills. And you can experience this, you know, in, in, to degrees, you know, when the mind quietens down, for example, certain thought, thought forms don't occur. Not because one's averse to thinking, though he may be, but just that's what happens. And you don't cease to 
exist, you're all right, you actually feel better for that. When the uh, certain moods and preoccupations pass away, you feel better, not, not bereft. So you kind of get indications, glimpses of, of, of what this process entails because it, it's pertinent to all levels of experience from the coarse to the, sub, to the most refined. It's into the roots of experience. I think there's the, the kind of great inspirational insight that uh, Sariputta had when he first heard the Buddha's teaching was that the, the, the Samana Gautama, the great sage, has seen the, into the root of con- conditioned existence and the calming of that and the quietening of that. Thinking, what's that mean? <laughs> That's where he expressed it. So this kind of, kind of realization. Well, this means this this person really knows something. They've looked into. They've seen the root of all formed experience and and the cessation of that. This must be. This must be the you know, the the furthest teaching, the most profound teaching. Two forms of clinging are to uh, cling to to cling to things with distaste, or to cling to things favouring them. But to recognise both of these, and this sometimes is expressed as this is mine or this is not mine. I am this or I'm other than this, or I want to be this and I don't want to be that. I, I want to be in this and I don't want to be in this. These are the kind of two two expressions of it clinging. In the, I think in the first sutta of the Majjhima Nikaya, the Buddha talks about this, this, um, this very experience. One can see oneself as being something, as being in it, as being apart from it, as being belonging to it, as being other than it. And he goes through every kind of level of experience, the most coarse level is the elemental, physicality, earth, solidity, one sees oneself as being that, or being in it, or being of it, or being apart from it. You know, so this kind of jiggling of the mind, something's jiggling, saying, "This is me. This is what I am. I'm other than this, or I am this, or I'm in it, or I'm away from it, or something like that." And it goes from the coarsest forms right up to things like uh, levels of consciousness, jhanas. Um, non-dualistic experience of non-dualism even to the perceptions of nibbana one sees oneself as this is mine or i am this or i'm in this or i'm apart from that you know so is that kind of what's happening the common refrain is one conceives it there's a conceiving of it and then he says well then if but none of this is wrong the stuff is all right but then instead of conceiving it in which this kind of mind starts to work, consciousness starts to take it as a base and form things from it. 
and this self is the self experience as a result of that. Let one not conceive it, instead experience it directly. So, earth is fine, jhana is fine, you know, monism is fine, non-dualism is, you know, whatever level of consciousness, whatever, however form it takes, that's fine. Just experience it directly. Experience it directly. There is the release from that. There is the release from that. There is the non-clinging to that. There is the non-taking a stand on it. There is the non-taking a stand against it. What is released, you know, the thing releases itself. You see, what, what is released is the sense of I am. The cessation of that is the, uh, is the is one way of expressing the goal. The cessation of this I am tendency, which first of all appears as very coarse, obvious thing, this kind of voice in the head or obvious grasping and tenacity. And it gets subtler onto levels of inclination and centering oneself in certain areas of experience and gradually kind of inching away from other areas of experience which is what you know there's a tendency to do isn't there you know this is mine I don't want to bother with that stuff you know or it's all mine and kind of t- attached to it So this sense of really being more and more aware of the intention with respect to any form. Intention with respect to the body. Intention with respect to the mind states. Intention with respect to the um, community life. Intention with respect to the vinya intention, you know, with these kinds, so you've got some kind of form and you realise what what intention is carrying with it either wanting to hold it, have it belong to it, be it, make it mine, get rid of it get away from it, not have it, not be it see oneself in it, apart from it so forth, you know saying, well I'm, I'm not really, you know, I'm just adopting this form, being a Buddhist monk but really I'm something other than that and so forth or I am a Buddhist monk, this is exactly what I am, this is, this is it, you know. <laughs> so either these are kind of the wrong ways of doing it. Yet one notices there is this particular form. And what's the intent? Is it with doubt, with worry, with agitation, with pride, with conceit, with stubbornness? Or is it just this is a form? Yeah. And if it's held with the right intent then you know you can use it it can be useful it can be skillful has its benefits and of course it has its limitations because it's a form so we you know the same thing with the the you know one meditation on the body in one sense the buddha is saying you know the body is we all know the bad news about the body you know bound to death, aging, sickness, decrepitude, full of impurities and so forth. You know, very strongly, don't get stuck in this. On the other hand, saying, really get into your body. 
you know, feel it from the inside, feel the breathing in, breathing out, contemplate it, you know, so that feel, so you, if your mind is, is inclined towards fascination with the physical form, then you use one way of looking at it, your mind is inclined towards getting away from that, you look at another way of using it. But the main thing about form, particularly physical form, is that certain of all the forms we can experience is the most stable, say compared with the mental forms for an average person. Mental forms are flickering and fluttering and shifting and wavering and intensely emotive and reactive. Physical form it's like that to a degree, but much, much less so. It's coarse. So that's, you can really then contemplate and work on, you know, the energies within it, the senses you have around it, your own. You can see other people's forms. You can work on that. You can contemplate the fascination or aversion or worry or doubt or comparisons or conceit. It's just the form. And you purify like that. I think this, just even this level, you know, I think is really, you do so much with that. What living in the community is about, in a way, seeing forms, seeing physical forms, bodies, moving around, living in a social form, and all the kind of feelings and moods the mind can create about any of this. Because what it creates becomes the basis for consciousness. And that becomes the new form. So we have a form, a worry form, or a continual kind of irritation form that we find ourselves dwelling in, or a resistance form, or a pride form, you know. This is it, this is, this, you know. So this kind of subtle form takes over. The subtler forms arise dependent upon the, the mind's intention towards grosser forms. It goes up, 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 up. So as you get, contemplate the grossest, subtler forms arise. If you, the mind creates something out of that, that creates a new form when you dwell upon that. So the consciousness can goes up and down these levels from the coarse to the subtle. Buddha said, all this is becoming. You go right up to Brahma Loka, boundless, sublime, formless states. And he said, and this is still something you, you don't want to hang around in because it's still subject to stress, decline, uh, and so forth. It's not liberation. And eventually... Subtle forms wear out, as coarse forms do, and then if the mind is not uh, liberated, then there's a descent to coarser forms. So it's kind of, you know, stories of retreats, isn't it? When one attaches to some happy or sublime state on a retreat, you know, we think we are it, we've got it, we've found it, we know it, we're there, and then three days out of the retreat, the thing falls apart and crash, bang, you know. 
because because of the, the clinging, the attachment, something we have to wear out. Because these subtle forms are very uh, seductive, can be very pleasing. Or you may feel you're going absolutely potty because your mind is creating some negative form. And so, well, you know, just bear your intentionality towards that, clarify your intention towards that. Steady yourself on something you can steady yourself with. Walking, standing, be with somebody else, talk to somebody else. So you've got something, you know, a stable form that helps to take you out of one form. And you're learning how to basically seek the release from forms. Through directly holding them clearly not clinging to them, not rejecting them. I notice certainly, you know, the inspiration I get just from recognizing how many people in the community life physical difficulties manage to keep going, you know, with kind of chronic rheumatism or bronchial complaints where they can't really breathe and you know severe illnesses that are quite incapacitating and yet sense of you know coming in sitting down being with that day after day after day you know bear with pain or incapacity or low energy or things going wacky in a physical system, you think, well, I mean, this is to me is incredibly inspirational because you think, well, you know, they're doing, I can, surely, I, I mean, all I've got is a bit of backache. I mean, mostly I've got too much energy, not, not enough. <laughs> and if you were kind of, so you managing to practice what, what you've got. So certainly the external things I think are helpful just to recognize other people because it helps to take the edge off the, the, the narrowness of view or the arrogance. If you're healthy, the real problem is kind of conceit and arrogance. You don't even realize it because um, you just think, well, everybody can do this, you know. And so you get a kind of... There's a certain attachment to that, favouring that. But actually, the main practice is not whether you're fit or well, strong or healthy, whatever. It's just how you use that particular form. You, you stabilize yourself on it, you focus on it, you take it seriously, you contemplate it, you don't let your mind play around with it. And you think, you know, can it be your practice is always the letting go of the aversion, the sense of I'm stuck with this, or I am this, you know, everybody should be this, or I'm stuck with this, poor me, I'm the only one. You know, this I am in it. This is this is form, and in the 
you're stabilizing your attention with regard to that. And with any form, what arises is naming, which are, this is the, when we, uh, the normal function of consciousness. You focus on something, there's consciousness around that, there's naming goes on. Naming is, is uh, feeling, that's a, one of the name, ones of name defining. There's a feeling, pleasant, painful, neutral. There are certainly meanings and impressions, such as unbearable, wonderful, you know, must have more, I'm big, small, whatever, you know, the kind of sensed impressions you get of that. Energies moving and shifting around. This is all the, the, the kind of what consciousness does when it, when it goes into a, a, a body or a form. It does all that, doesn't it? And then an untrained mind it takes or is bound to those feelings and perceptions and that becomes a form. Negative, positive, becomes something that the mind then stands upon, um, struggles with, uh, fondles, um, says I am this, or I'm not this, or I'm, a, I'm in this, or this is in me, or something, does that. This is the establishment of consciousness. So this is the clung quality of consciousness. Even if it's something kind of sublime, and it's, it's, it's ephemeral, bright states, silences, I'm in this, or I am this, or this is in me, or I've got it, or I'm apart from that. I'm in this realm, therefore I'm not in that realm. If we see any, dis- any fundamental distinctions between the realms of being, if we see really any fundamental distinctions between blowing your nose and being in fourth jhana, then you're not there yet. Take it from me. <laughs> Fundament- fun- that's very fundamental, I must admit. There are, there are probably, uh, you know, you could say the incremental benefits from being in fourth jhana rather than blowing your nose. I'm not dismissive of fourth jhana at all. But fundamentally, it's if your mind takes a stand upon it, takes a, uses a basis, then the, the root of existence has not been cut. Consciousness, name and form. Consciousness, name and form. That's, that's the bit sticking the two together. So then that really helps cover, that covers all of it. And we train in everything from blowing your nose to fourth jhana, something you do with awareness, mindfulness, sense of dispassion, 
clarity, whatever. <laughs> but what can be said of form, any form, is that the use of it is, is to support, to be supportive, to be a prop. to be a ladder, to be something that supports and bears, so we use form for for steadying so that it can be then we can contemplate. This really is is a helpful thing to keep coming back to, you know, why, for example, why monastic form is as it is, you know, why we have so much conformity in it, is for for a steadying effect. Yeah. Now, of course, one can feel held in it, trapped in it, stuck in it, or rejoicing in it, delighted in it, proud of it, worried about it. But essentially, that's that's what the that's the mind shifting, and you keep going, trying to come, practicing, going back to, well, yeah, but use it for steadying, and then. The release from perplexity, doubt, aversion, conceit, and so on. As, as form is a form. So using that kind of simplicity of it, of approach, just to just to, to steady one's intentionality. And of course, as with as with the physical physical body, there's a suppleness. There's a bending to that. There's a there's a way it flexes and moves and shifts and changes, but it doesn't fall apart, you know. So there's a kind of steadying which is not rigid, there's steadying within that, and there's room for movement. And it's all kind of a, an ongoing cultivation, which I think is cultivated with the same degree of conscience and concern, mindfulness, as one does anything, you know. So just so you know, you could really try to practice like that with your own body, for example. You know, I do recommend exercising it, stretching it, bending it, you know, to keep it in good shape rather than oh it's just the body, dumpy old bag or you know, it's just the body, get up in my head or go into some other state. You know, you this this body here, so it's a form. And it's something to you that's going to have a definite effects. So you, you use it and you care for it. Monastery, same thing. You look after it, keep it clean, keep it tidy, don't delight in it. But it's something you use to to establish a a proper place for that for practice, because it does affect you. If it's noisy, if it's cluttered, if it's cramped, if it's uh, then that definitely has effects on our dispositions, our movements, what we see, what we hear definitely affects us. So you know, it's practicing like that. With the vinya, you know, training, precepts, observances, level of precepts and conventions, you have to keep exercising them, looking into them, exercising them, strengthening them, stretching them, flexing them, talk, you know, working them, so that they are kept alive because they are the thing, that's what helps to 
sustain ethical standards that help to keep the mind ethically balanced in the sense of concern for others, concern for oneself it definitely has effects if you don't keep that it kind of uh, the, the, the mildest effects one gets a bit kind of casual and, re- and a bit careless and a bit sort of so what, you know, about it all or we get a little bit edgy and uptight about it all, like you know, getting too razor sharp about the, the the training and so forth. These are the kind of effects that happen if you don't if you don't work it properly. And of course, it can go much worse than that, where you end up discarding the whole thing altogether, chopping bits off it or leaving it. And it's yeah, you know. Of course, you can say the aim of a life is not to be a monk or a nun. True. The aim of it is to learn how to use ethics, forms, discipline in order to cultivate. And so when we use this, you say, well, get your intention pure, re- purify your intention with regards to a form, balance, use it for steadying, for insight, for clearing that we should be cleared. It's not something to proliferate around. So it's this, this conceiving, this proliferation. Around any form. This is where the naming starts to really spin out. The labeling starts to spin out. The feelings and perceptions start to spin out. And they overwhelm the sense of direct seeing. We're seeing things through a haze of interpretations and views and feelings and moods and likes and dislikes and ifs and ands and shouldn'ts and so forth so it becomes the whole thing we, we lose the benefit of form physical form subtle forms social forms, conventional forms so forth it's that and the Buddha was no doubt about that. He said this conceiving, construing is a dart, a pain, a cancer. Construing, conceiving is a pain, an infirmity, a cancer. It eats, destroys, destroys everything. Therefore one should... You know, cease from that. See it directly. What comes up when we experience things directly is a sense of some kind of sense of the steadiness becomes a real quality of presence. There's a clarity in the, in the way we, we witness and observe. Our moods and emotional base becomes less one of reaction, more one of just a steady, equanimous empathy. We're able to be receptive, attuned, and the heart chakra, the heart sense, opens to something that's really tender, humorous, 
warm, empathic. It's not embroiled, turned inwards. It's not bent. The Buddha called this the mind made great, the Mahachitta. The mind made great, imbued, endowed with this, uh, these qualities of loving kindness and compassion and so forth. The Brahma Vihara. It happens by itself. In a, in a meditation, we do favor subtler forms. For they're basically because they, they can offer us um, greater steadiness. Say so when we're no longer so impacted by random sense contact, this sense of state steadiness, the steadiness allows for something more subtle to arise, and within that we can we can contemplate the more refined uh, levels of clinging. And the interesting thing is that it's the more subtler refined are actually the more tenacious. So it may be relatively easy to say, um, you know, stop smoking cigarettes. Much e- much easier to do that to, than to stop having a view about, <laughs> you know, whatever one's, one's view happens to be about. And much easier to stop having a view about things than to actually relinquish having this, this vague sense of inadequacy. You know, which is can be a fairly subtle sense and yet pervasive feeling of not quite there, not quite good enough, not really something wrong with me. Yeah. Which is, is relatively subtle in a way compared with something coarse like drinking or smoking or or whatever, you know. So when you actually purify the coarser levels, then the subtler levels open up. And it's in the subtle levels you find the most, where the real roots of the problem lie. That's the point of having subtler meditations to take you to subtler places, not to cling to those subtle places, but to use the view or the vision that opens up in those subtler places into the latent or um, more mm, less easy to apprehend forms of clinging because they are actually the more powerful ones, the more fundamental ones, the ones that are really going to um, carry whole life messages. And one level of that is this message we have of myself, which may not be much of an issue for the average, you know, Sun re- reader of the sun, follower of the football matches, Friday night down the pub, bloke, who's probably not worrying about the nature of his self. <laughs> and yet, as you start to kind of clarify, you come down this feeling of, am I okay? Oh, I'm probably not okay. It's not, you're not silly even verbal. It's not a series of thoughts even, it's just the kind of mood that can be there of something I've got to get out of. I don't, I don't feel right, I feel something's holding me, something's trapping me. Uh, 
or I want, I feel basically something like a raw hunger, something to have, or something to belong to, or I want out. I just don't want to be with whatever. I don't know what it is, but just this strange feeling of trying to get away, you know. You know, maybe things like a, or in your voice or a sense in your mind of, that comes up every now and then, and what it says is, "Oh, get out of this. You don't want this. This is this. You know, get out of this. Get out of this. Or what you really need is this. You really need one of these. Have one of these. Somewhere else you get one of those. Much better over there. Or the one that says, "Look, you're not going to make this, are you?" Basically, you're a bit of a failure, aren't you, really? People like you don't make it, do they? <laughs> it may not be a voice, but it can come up in particular crucial moments as a, as, a, as a kind of cry from the heart that seems so basically me and what I am, the real underlying truth. And then... You know, it's actually, it's okay. when that happens, it's really good. Because <laughs> then the Mara shows his hand. Oh, there he is. You know, the Mara comes up, starts complaining about you, or labelling you this, that, or the other, or telling you what you need, and what you're going to have, and what you don't want, and so forth. Oh, thank you, Mara. You finally come out from the shadows. And then what's my intention towards that form? Do I hate it? Do I cling to it? Do I favour it? Do I try and get rid of it? Do I try and talk myself out of it? Or do I just... Hmm. That's the point. Is that, you know, if you've got the subtler forms, you've always got to extend your attention Extend and deepen your attention, extend the feeling, expand the feeling of that. So you've got something there you can kind of actually have an expanded, extended sense of mindfulness and full awareness. You don't have to be that form, you don't have to reject that form. In the knowing of that form and the non-reaction to that form, that form is not given the basis for continuing. Consciousness does not grasp that form. Consciousness does not get established in that form. Why? Because one's intention does not incline into it. One's intention does not fight with it. Your intention does not run away from it. Therefore, because intention stays steady in presence, in mindfulness, in full awareness, you know, then consciousness does not get established on that particular subtle form of fear, delusion, worry, doubt, whatever. Therefore, there's a ceasing of that. So that's, that's the process of ceasing. And that can go subtler and subtler till the whole, down to really levels, but it's not even such painful things, but just kind of subtler qualities of, of what we want to be or have. Yeah. It's all right to have these but you always you know this frame one does not conceive it one does not formulate it one does not take a stand upon it 
One does not one see oneself in it, as it, belonging to it, having it, or apart from it. Because of that, the root of existence is cut. The conceit and the craving is cut. This is the ending of what the Buddha sometimes referred to as the process of papancha, proliferation, diffusion, complications. Craving, conceit, view. Craving, conceit, view, that's the process. A sort of hunger for, a conceiving of, a conceit that arises, I am this, I'm not that, I'm in this, I'm out of that, I could be, I should be, you know. And then the view arises out of that, out of that process. With direct seeing, directed intention, there is the quelling of that papancha, there is the not, the not conceiving. So one of the definitions of the targeter is nipa pancha. He does not conceive, does not proliferate anything at all. It's just direct, <coughs> direct experience. So as we cultivate, then the subtler forms in, in accordance with the range so it's not to make a big issue out of subtle forms, it's a matter of the range of them, and that's dependent upon other factors, isn't it? Physical health, strength, vitality, so forth. That's all to do with conditionality. You shouldn't feel you know, fundamentally cheated or deprived because of some form or another. You know, you, whatever form there is for you, physical, emotional, conventional, it's there for steadying and for purifying intention. Subtler forms may arise, such as some calm or some steadiness or some brightness, breathing in and out, metabhavana, subtler forms that you then, for there for for the extending and deepening awareness and for the happiness they bring you. The happiness is important because it helps the mind to to steady again. It's all for that kind of stabilizing quest. The mind is steady, it, its view is less shaken and blurred. It can be more straight. But you know, whatever, wherever whatever level you can take it to, whatever level arises for you is fine, you know, you see it for what it, for the use you can make of it. And what I've been emphasizing or trying to just use as a almost like a refrain, one way of just checking it out is can you, is there a sense of presence? Are you able to have some clarity, some witnessing going on? And then can you actually receive and be empathic and, and attuned to that? You know, so there's some sense of being able to feel some delight or pleasure or whatever. So you really read kind of with the emotive effect of that. That's what I'm saying, offering as a kind of 
simple simplification of, of a standard. Can you be a whole person with what you're experiencing? Or is part of you shrinking away from it? Can you embody your feeling? Can you witness your, your moods? Then, you know, that's the standard for the uh, purification, clarification. It's not that refined, and yet it, uh, it covers everything. <laughs>